Hello, you're listening to the Trouble Treble Podcast, and I'm your host, Seth. I'll be your host for this adventure. Before we get into today's album, I just wanted to thank everyone for listening. I've been hearing a lot of great feedback, and it makes me so happy. I started this podcast as an outlet for my love of music, and now it's bringing more friends into my world. If you're listening and liking what you hear, feel free to subscribe and drop a review for me. It really helps other music lovers join the party. Alright, enough podcast talk. You're here to enjoy another adventure with me. What album are we going to cover today? None other than Green Day's third and quite possibly most popular album, Dookie. Let's go ahead and take you backstage and tell you a little bit about the backstory of this album. This is a big turning point for Green Day's career as it marks their crossover from indie label Lookout Records to major label Reprise. Green Day is a band made up of Mike Durnt on bass, Trey Cool on drums, and Billy Joe Armstrong playing guitar and the lead vocalist. Hailing from the East Bay in Berkeley, California, more specifically Rodeo, California, Green Day came up in the punk scene. When you talk about music, everyone is really concerned with genre. In the punk scene, genre and subgenre are a part of the ethos almost. Well, they aren't punk rock, they are pop punk, some might say, or even just rock. Not that it even matters, but how could we categorize Green Day? Well, they were picking up the torch where other melodic punk bands like Bad Religion and The Offspring started. Green Day came from the DIY scene. DIY stands for do-it-yourself. It was a scene that thrived on doing things your own way and not looking for approval from the mainstream music industry. They also get final say on everything during recording of their album, including artwork, mixes, and what songs make it on the album. They came up in this scene at local punk co-op venue 924 Gilman. I'll go ahead and tell you a little bit about 924 Gilman Street. It's also called just Gilman Street or just Gilman (laughs) Uh, because it's really important to this story. It's a place where the punk revival movement took place, birthing bands such as Operation Ivy, Rancid, The Offspring, Jawbreaker, AFI, and Green Day. Gilman was run by all volunteers. There are four main rules of this venue. No drugs, no alcohol, no violence, and no racism, sexism, homophobia, or transphobia. If you broke those rules, you are put on a list of people no longer welcome at the club anymore. If a band is on a major label like AFI, The Offspring, and Green Day eventually were, they could only play a show there if they were approved by the venue. Billy Joe told Rolling Stone magazine, I firmly believe that, coming from Gilman Street and the maximum rock and roll era of bands, which was basically a socialist mentality, What we did was straight up blasphemy, becoming rock stars. This led to an identity crisis within the band, struggling with their newfound fame. The band went on to write follow-up album Insomniac as a response. 
I actually drove past this venue, Gilman Street, once while running an errand for an internship while I was interning at a recording studio in the area. It was so surreal to see in person because as a massive Green Day fan, I couldn't believe it. I was witnessing such a big part of their history. And it was a pretty nondescript building, so it wasn't even that exciting, like, visually. However, just to see the building, it was really cool. Okay, enough about the venue. Back to Green Day. Dookie is Green Day's third album. It was recorded at Fantasy Studios in Berkeley, California. Fun fact, another notable album recorded there was Journey's album Escape. You know, the one with Don't Stop Believin' on it. Billy Joe describes the studio, saying, It definitely had that 70s cokey vibes. Mahogany and strange dead wood around the place. We would go into the vaults and see all of Creedence Clearwater Revival's master tapes. The album was produced by the legend that is Rob Cavallo. He also produced My Chemical Romance's album, The Black Parade, and worked with many talented artists like Alanis Morissette, Paramore, and Eric Clapton. When I was working at Warner Brothers Records, he became chief creative officer. I was able to hear him speak to the company after accepting his role. I was in awe, and I made sure to go shake his hand, too. I knew he was a big deal, making some of my favorite records. Going into the studio to record Dookie, Billy Joe told Rolling Stone, For me, it was important to have an opinion, to be an individual. There was a lot of whining in rock at that time. By nature, we're extroverts, so that's what came across in our songs. We knew we were entering an arena of bands that we didn't like. It was important for us to be ourselves, no matter what and have a devil-may-care attitude about it. Fuck it. Life is pretty silly. Finally, the album was released on February 1st, 1994. Green Day was known for being on tour nonstop. This continued through the album's promotion cycle, leading up to their infamous mudslinging set at Woodstock 94. For the 25th anniversary of the original concert of Woodstock, Green Day was invited to play the show. On a warm August day in 1994, the band was gearing up for one of their biggest shows yet. I'm sure you know the phrase, the show must go on. Well, it had been pouring nonstop onto the wide open fields of Woodstock. By the time it was time for Green Day's set, the fields had turned to mud. This kind of sets the tone to the wild set that Green Day would perform. In typical punk fashion, Billy Joe Armstrong started the show by antagonizing the audience. He said things like, What is this free f***ing hippie love sh**? And, How are you doing, you rich mother f***ers? Wearing a black button-down shirt, red tie, and bright blue hair, Billy Joe snarled in that typical punk rock antagonizing humor. About 20 minutes through the show, the audience began showing how much they liked or perhaps didn't like the performance by throwing mud and chunks of grass onto the stage. How did the band take that? Bassist Mike Dirt snarled into the microphone. I hope it rains so much you all get stuck. At the end of their set, Security mistakenly thought that Mike was an audience member 
and tackled him so hard he broke his two front teeth. The show was over and Billy Joe wasn't done yet. He started throwing big clumps of grass and soil back at the audience. That action caused the audience to surge forward and start forcing their way onto the stage. The security guards stormed the stage to keep the band safe and the fans on the ground. This was quite the scene and the other members of the band were playing a version of Twisted Sister's song, We're Not Gonna Take It. Band versus audience. This is punk rock. Look at me. I'm a f***ing idiot. Billy Joe screamed into the microphone, mocking the audience and quite possibly himself. Reflecting on his experience, Billy Joe said, Woodstock was the closest thing to anarchy I've ever seen in my whole life. I didn't like it one bit. As chaotic as the set was, it was beyond epic. The band was on fire. The show was truly electric. If you haven't watched it, I suggest you treat yourself. There's nothing quite like Green Day in their prime. Let's switch gears and I'll share with you some possibly unknown facts. I'm sure you're all familiar with the album art for Dookie. It's pretty iconic. The album art actually changed. Billy Joe explained that uh, this is funny. Ernie from Sesame Street was originally on the back cover of Dookie, Armstrong revealed. The story goes a grandmother bought Dookie for her grandchildren because she thought it was a children's album. Whoops. And, well, we had to take Ernie off. The album cover depicts many of the characters in their scene on Berkeley's Telegraph Avenue, where the band lived at the time in a communal living situation. They also included the robed woman from the first Black Sabbath album. That's not the only thing that changed either. Originally, Green Day wanted to call the album Liquid Dookie, named after, well, I'm sure you can probably figure it out. It's pretty obvious, but this is a family-friendly podcast. (laughs) The inspiration was after their poor diets while touring the country in a van known as The Bookmobile. However, their label said that it was too gross, which is why the album is now known as Dookie. While making the album, the band wanted to avoid typical music industry spin cycle. They came into the studio prepared with all the songs written. They wanted to stick to their punk upbringing and recorded the album in just three weeks. They also wanted to have some money left over to pay their rent in case the record didn't pan out. Luckily for them, it did pan out quite well. Their album was received well, being on many media outlets' top albums for that year. The album sold 20 million albums worldwide. Alright, let's start talking about themes on the album. The album was mostly written by Billy Joe about personal experiences he was going through at the time. There's themes of boredom, anxiety, loneliness, relationships, and sexuality. One of the hit singles, Basket Case, is about panic attacks that Billy Joe was experiencing. He said, Basket Case became this loser national anthem. But to say it's about panic attacks is limiting. It's about going through total confusion. I think a song like American Idiot as feeling, okay, there's a lot of chaos in the world, 
people getting murdered. There is no way to make sense of a world like that. You feel like a victim of it. Basket Case is the same way. In the third verse of the song, he changes the gender of the prostitute to be male. He says, I wanted to challenge myself and whoever the listener might be. It's also looking at the world and saying, it's not as black and white as you think. This isn't your grandfather's prostitute. Or maybe it was. This record touches on bisexuality a lot. Speaking of bisexuality, the song Coming Clean starts off with the lyrics, 17 and strung out on confusion. Billy Joe is coming into adulthood and questioning who he is as a person. He said in an interview, It was a song about questioning myself. There are these other feelings you may have about the same sex, the opposite sex, especially being in Berkeley and San Francisco then. People are acting out what they are feeling, gay, bisexual, transgender, whatever. And that opens up something in society that becomes more acceptable. Now we have gay marriage becoming recognized. In the interview, he went on to elaborate about if that meant he was bisexual. He said, I think it's a process of discovery. I was willing to try anything, but I got married to Adrian a year after that. However, in another interview that I read, he says, I think I've always been bisexual. I mean, it's something that I've always been interested in. I think everybody kind of fantasizes about the same sex. I think people are born bisexual, and it's just that our parents and society kind of veer us off into this feeling of, oh, I can't. They say it's taboo. It's ingrained in our heads that it's bad, when it's not bad at all. It's a very beautiful thing. Another single, Long View, which was not just about self-pleasure. He said about this song, Mine was coming more from lonely guy, no girlfriend, no life, complete loser. It's him coming to grips with pothead burnout. I mean, their band name is called Green Day after they spent a whole day smoking pot. Get it? Green day. (laughs) He was dealing with a lot of anxiety and panic attacks and used songwriting as an escape. He was dealing with the loss of his father to cancer. I had no idea what was going on. I thought I was losing my mind, he said. All right, so let's switch into a few of my favorite lyrics. From the first track, Burnout, you hear a couple of drum hits and you're off to the races. This whole album is quite a whirlwind. In the chorus, I like the lyrics, I'm not growing up, I'm just burning out, and I stepped in line to walk amongst the dead. This is a feeling I connect to quite often. Working my 9 to 5 job, I often find myself questioning what I'm doing with my life. I do often feel burnt out and amongst the dead at work. You sort of feel like a zombie going through the motions until you can go home and immerse yourself in a more interesting world. Do something you actually enjoy, like record a podcast or something, or maybe listen to Green Day's album Dookie. A fun lyrical connection that I made was on the third track, Chump. Billy Joe sings the chorus, Maybe It's Just Jealousy. Mixing up with a violent mind, a circumstance that doesn't make much sense. Or maybe I'm just dumb. I'm a chump. 
The year before this album was released, Nirvana put out their third album, In Utero. On the song Dumb, Kurt Cobain sings, I'm not like them, but I can pretend. The sun is gone, but I have a light. The day is done, but I'm having fun. I think I'm dumb. I wonder if Billy Joe subconsciously used that line, or maybe it's just the universe aligning to a snapshot of how it was to be a young man in the early to mid-90s. It's certainly a feeling that I can relate to back then and still today. The sense of self-doubt when it feels like you're burnt out on trying, when it feels like you're only failing at life. In the song Pulling Teeth, Billy Joe sings, I'm all busted up broken bones, and nasty cuts. Accidents will happen, but this time I can't get up. Not to beat a dead horse, but again, he touches on those setbacks we all have in life. As someone that deals with anxiety like Billy Joe, I tend to dwell too much on things that turn into big things after you overthink them for a little while. I really can relate to this quite a bit, where it feels like you're going through life just you know, through a series of accidents, basically. Earlier, we talked about the song Coming Clean being about Billy Joe being bisexual. I like this other line from the chorus. I found out what it takes to be a man. Well, mom and dad will never understand. I think this is a common thought in LGBTQIA people, unfortunately. I remember wondering if my parents would accept me before I came out, too. I think even if you have the kindest parents in the world, you always ask yourself if they will accept you. I think that's one of the big things in life, wanting your parents to be proud of you. It's an important part of coming out, or as Billy Joe puts it, coming clean. Because being queer, you have a big part of yourself to reveal to the world. Not even just once, but over and over. Okay, that's probably enough lyrics to share with you all. There are so many more lyrics that I could connect with, but they're all sad and depressing. I think we've had enough of that for one day. You get the picture. In the punk scene, many people hate Green Day for quote-unquote selling out by switching to a major label. That's something that's always annoyed me. If a band you like gets successful, shouldn't you be proud and happy for them? In an interview, Billy Joe said, Back then, I just wanted to write songs I could be proud of and be able to play in five years. I'd say they proved all the haters wrong. 30 plus years later and the band is still going strong. Billy Joe's favorite song on the album to play is She and he always makes sure to include it in most of the set lists. Speaking of concerts, I've had the pleasure of seeing Green Day twice, actually. I saw them in 2002 on the Pop Disaster Tour. It was a co-headlining tour with Blink-182, and the opening band was Taking Back Sunday. What a concert, Bill. As much as I love Blink-182, I think Green Day stole the show. I just remember them being so high energy and having a fun time. Billy Joe was just running all over the stage. He has an undeniable stage presence. If you haven't seen Green Day in concert, you really have to. I actually saw them the second time in 2017 with my dad. 
it was just like I remembered. They're still having the same energy and the same fun like they did back in 2002. I just had so much fun seeing them. It was like they welcomed me to paradise. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Trouble Trouble podcast. The theme music you heard at the top of the show was made by me. The logo was illustrated and designed by the amazingly talented queer artist, Will Jameson. You can find them on Instagram and Twitter at the Will Jameson. This is an indie podcast, which means no commercials, at least for now. It also means that I can't use the clips from the album we discussed because my lawyers have advised against it. Copyright laws, am I right? The best way to support this podcast is to subscribe, tell a friend, and leaving a review. It really helps other music fans find this show. If you're a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, feel free to listen to my other podcast, Thanks for Coming, a RuPaul's Drag Race podcast. I record that show with two of my best friends, Jamal and Stoney. You can find us at TFC Pod on Instagram and Twitter. That's all I've got for you now. If you made it through the whole podcast, you rock. I'll see you at the next show in two weeks. Friday night, be there. With that, I'll see you next time at the show. And before I sign off, I would like to, of course, extend the invitation to Billy Joe, Mike, and Trey from Green Day to come on the show. I'd love to interview you. Pick your brains a little bit. Signing off, I'm your host, Seth. Rock on, young savior. Don't give up your hopes.